The call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's roll, boys. Come on, let's get going. We are kicking. Here we go. Oh, guys, five minutes each for fighting. Watch the blue. Play the puck. Run to it. After further review, it's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Yeah, baby. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith. Okay, gentlemen, play ball. Let's go. All right, guys, let's drop the puck. Josh, there is an official week for just about everything, whether it's pizza or donuts or hamburgers. Let's give recognition to NCAA Officials Appreciation Week. Here, here, they deserve the recognition and props. Yeah, absolutely. Across all sports, all the work, the time, the the commitment that they have to the game. Really nice to see the NCAA featuring some officials on their social media, getting to know some of them a little bit more and talking more about officials. They're people too. They're doing the best they can out there. These these folks want to help support the game and nice to see the organization supporting them. I, I can see that becoming a PR campaign phrase. <laughs> officials are people too. I think right. there's something there, Josh. <laughs> hey, we got to remind them they took the names off the backs of the sweaters yeah. for the NCAA officials. So we, we forget they don't have names. They don't have numbers. They're just this nameless body that's out there. So I think that does go a long way towards humanizing them and reminding them that they are people. And I wish they would put the names or the numbers or something back there so that we we know who's working. But, you know, it reminds them that there is a person behind those stripes. This is the Scouting the Ref podcast. Please make sure you follow us on the social channels. You get Josh on X and Instagram at Scouting the Refs. You get me on X and Instagram at Todd Lewis Sports. Coming up on this week's episode... The Wheel of Justice is back. Uh, suspensions, fines, isn't that a pick? It's not over till it's over. No flipping allowed, and you must be on the ice to play the puck. Is that for a little bit of a tease? Huh? That seems logical to me. <laughs> yes, well, it seems <laughs> logical, but sometimes it doesn't work out that way. I, I want to start with what I, I guess was a kind of strange, weird uh, confluence and unfortunate set of circumstances in the Pittsburgh Penguins game last week with the Arizona Coyotes. The 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 Pens are trying to kill time on a, a, what is a delayed penalty against Arizona. So the goaltender comes out and we're trying to kill some time off so we get as long a man advantage as possible. And Chris Letang drops the puck back to Evgeny Malkin who nonchalants it right into his own goal. And and that's just the beginning of the weird stuff that happened with this play. Oh, this one, this one was a lot of fun. I mean, first of all, an unfortunate play from two amazing puck handlers. You, you think these guys would be a little more adept at preventing that sort of thing from happening on the play, but nope, puck went in. And what happens? This goes in the books as a power play goal. So power play goal for the Coyotes. We've got the delayed penalty call. Obviously that's the stoppage in play. So what should have happened here is the goal gets awarded to the Coyotes. It's a power play goal. So the penalty to the Penguins comes to an end. And now we book the penalty for the Coyotes. That was the reason for the, for the delayed call. This is our stoppage. So now the Penguins go on the power play for two minutes. That is not what happened on this play, right. unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, it's straightforward, Todd. Rule 16-2 says, was a goal scored against a shorthanded team? Is it a minor penalty? If so, the penalty is terminated. Somebody dropped the ball on this one because what actually happened on the play is the Penguins player, Jansen Harkin, stays in the box. Jason Zucker goes to the box for the Coyotes, and they play four on four for 48 seconds before a Penguins power play. So... Somebody messed up here. 
The referees missed it. Peter McDougal, Michael Markovic missed it. The penalty box attendant missed it. The timekeeper didn't catch it. Even Harkins didn't realize that he should have been out of the penalty box. And what's going on on the coaching side that, look, they scored on the power play. Why are we still shorthanded? Everybody missed it. So many opportunities to catch this one and, and nobody did. So again, a reminder, knowing the rules can work to your benefit, I believe. You would think, and this is such an obvious one, if you score on us when when we're shorthanded, the, the guy comes out of the box. But I think because of the delayed call, people got confused. They saw five skaters out there for both sides, thought it was even. But no, uh, the, the Pittsburgh Penguins were shorted. 48 seconds of a power play that they deserved. And clearly that would have made all the difference. <laughs> well, maybe not. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> uh, another game situation, this one involving the Ottawa Senators. Sometimes uh, officials catch this. Sometimes it's missed. It happens very quickly, often. But it was Ottawa's Vladimir Tarasenko this past week just trying to lend a hand to a teammate. Kind of have to look to the right of the video to watch this one. But he uses his own stick to flip the stick of a teammate back into his hands and it was caught in this instance and that's a two-minute minor penalty it is a minor penalty the rule book specifically states in 10.3 that you have to be handed a stick from the bench you cannot have a teammate pass you a stick you can't have him throw or shoot a stick to a teammate on the ice which is exactly what tarasenko did here and he did it beautifully but mm -hmm. like you said, sometimes they catch it, sometimes they miss it. It's always an amazingly skillful act. It's something that's impressive. We've we've seen Crosby get away with it in the past. We've seen other guys called for it. Referee Jake Brank happened right in front of him, so he caught this one. But uh, the worst part of the whole thing is the insult to injury on the play. Kachuk catches his stick. We've got a minor penalty, and he trips over his own skates anyway and takes himself <laughs> out. So, I mean, it, it didn't even help. No, no, that's uh, that's a shame. The, the Sens were involved in some other unusual circumstances this week as well. In a game against the Philadelphia Flyers, Philadelphia opens the scoring in the first period. It's a shot by Igor Zamula, and the shot heads toward the Ottawa goal. It appears as though it may be stopped. The referee blows the whistle. However... Very quickly afterward, we see that the puck has entered the net. And after a bit of time to think about it, look at it, talk about it, the ruling is the puck entered the net as part of continuous play. Explain continuous play, Josh. Continuous play. Sometimes it's it's something you want to hear, and sometimes you're, you're hoping it's not. In these cases, that's addressed in Rule 37.3. Puck entering the net as the culmination of a continuous play where the results of the play was unaffected by any whistle blown by the referee upon his losing sight of the puck. So on this play, you see referee Francois St. Laurent. He collapses down to the net like the defense does here. He's looking for the puck. He's trying to watch where the puck is. He's got the whistle up. He's ready to blow. So this isn't an intent to blow situation. He's ready, but he does not intend to stop the play at this time. When he does blow the whistle, the puck is already shot. The goaltender is already focused on the one side. It does not affect the play. It does not affect the goal being scored that the whistle sounded. So this is one of those situations where, yes, you play to the whistle, but sometimes in those continuous play moments, even when the puck goes in after the whistle, it can still count. So had a, a Flyers player touched the puck, had there been interference, had something happened as a result of the whistle sounding, or even everybody eases up on the play, well, then you can't count it. But in this case, it was such a bang-bang play that it's a continuous play. It's a good goal. So now that it's happened once in the first period, when Tim Stutzla <laughs> takes a shot in the second period to cut the Flyers' lead to 3-2... 
once again, this pops up, and once again, it's Francois Saint Laurent who is involved. I imagine, imagine what the odds on the parlay bet on this happening twice must be. Uh, two continuous plays in the same game, one for each team, both at the same net, both with the same referee. I, I can't imagine what the possibilities were there or the or percentage <laughs> of that. But it, it's funny because you know both teams now benefit from the continuous play call. Like in the other situation, we see a loose puck around the net. Again, you've got Saint Laurent looking for the puck. He's ready to blow the play dead. He, in fact, does, in this case, whistle the play down, and he doesn't signal for a goal. So it's a, a different call on the ice. But once again, we go to a review, and the league did rule that this was a continuous play. You can see that the puck is in motion. Bodies are piled up in the crease. You have Ristolainen cross-checking Pinto into the goaltender. Tarasenko comes in, but the puck's there, so he's legal. And it's a delayed penalty call, so the Flyers may have touched the puck, but they didn't control it. They didn't take possession, so that doesn't kill the play here. And you can see the puck just keeps on moving on in. So nothing from the whistle changed what was happening on the play, even though it happened momentarily right before the puck crosses the line. So once again, a continuous play. This one goes against the Flyers. So Flyers and Sens fans got a, a proper schooling on the continuous <laughs> play rule in this game. And one each way means nobody benefits. So no harm, no foul, right? Fair enough. All right. So there were uh, there was a similar incident, I believe, recently with a player on the bench who had played the pug. This time it was Buffalo Sabres Rasmus Dahlin who was exiting the penalty box when I guess he got a little bit excited about the opportunity that was in front of him. Unfortunately, it didn't end well because after Dalene plays the puck here, he just turns around and goes back to serve two more minutes. Yeah, and I, man, you want to get the jump on it. You, you've got the puck coming there. You've got a chance to help your team out, play the puck, move it up ice, and you've got to wait until you're actually on the ice. The rule says that should a player about to come onto the ice play the puck while one or both skates are still on the bench or the penalty bench, it's a minor penalty for interference. And it's just one of those times when you're so focused on the game. We've seen some of the best players have it happen to them. Patrick Kane, Matt Barzal, Dougie Hamilton have all been whistled for playing the puck before they actually left the penalty box. But you know what? In this case, it's an extra break for Darlene and his teammates killed off both penalties, actually. So, uh, you know, once again, I think you got to you got to kill this one for your guy. He's trying to do the best. He's trying to turn it around and make some offense. So nice to see the Sabres bail him out on that play. Yes, it is. Okay. Uh, there, there was a, a game between the San Jose Sharks and the New York Rangers this past week. And I want to look at it and talk a bit about it because it was three on three each side, but it sure seemed like there were a lot of obstacles in the way of those <laughs> trying to retrieve the puck. And it was like there were six skaters on each side. Yeah, it, it sure looked like it out there. It looked like the Sharks were doubling up on the Rangers, outplaying them. How do you get so open when you're skating three on three? How do you find this much room on the ice? And unfortunately for the Rangers, it it looked like the Sharks were getting away with some out there. We had a few picks on this play. And if you watch it back, I mean, smart move by the Sharks if you can get away with it. You've got a pick here at the blue line where the player comes in and boom, takes him out. Didn't have possession of the puck. Had a right to that spot on the ice. And then you'll see it happen again in the faceoff circle here. Again, same guy, pick play to take out a Rangers defender there. And it, it opens up all this ice. It's one thing when it happens once or twice and you have a little bit more room. But when you have it in three on three, you're clearing up a ton of space. You're taking one guy out. It's, it's so much more effective in a three on three play. So disappointing to see this one wasn't called. I mean, sometimes you can get away with one here and there, but you can't as the NHL rulebook defines it is, you can't issue a pick on the play, checking an opponent who's not in possession of the puck, unaware of the impending check, a player who's aware of an impending hit, 
not deemed to be a legal battle for the puck may not be interfered with by a player delivering a pick. And, and that's exactly what the Sharks were doing here. It's one thing to do a cycle to get your body position, but this is clearly uh, a play where they're looking to pursue their teammate, who's the puck carrier, and clear up some space for them. And it it worked. It got them the overtime goal, but <laughs> disappointing to see because it, we've got interference all over this play. Yeah, there there certainly could have been a whistle prior to the one that whistled the goal and ended the game on this one. But anyhow, we'll leave that for a future discussion and debate. We want to go back and revisit an earlier situation. Just after we recorded last week's episode, the Department of Player Safety returned from winter hibernation <laughs> to announce that Yanni Gord had been suspended for two games for his hit on Edmonton's Matthias Ekholm. It resulted in a, a major penalty for charging. I was a little surprised at this ruling. I, I thought it was a penalty. I thought it was a, a major penalty. I did not believe it would rise to the level of supplemental discipline, if you've heard that phrase before. Yeah, neither did I. I I, I agreed with the call on the ice. I think it, it's one of those dangerous hits. I, I think even if you wanted to throw a fine at him because we want to come down and deliver the message that player safety acknowledges that this is a dangerous hit. You, we can't deliver these types of things. You're putting other players at risk. But I, I didn't think it was going to result in a suspension. I, I was a little surprised, like you were, Todd, to see you know games coming down for this one when I thought for sure we were just looking at dollars. Yeah, that's it seems a little bit odd. But anyhow, that's the, the penalty inflicted and uh, served. A couple of fines were issued this past week. Um, Toronto Maple Leaf defenseman Connor Timmons fined uh, a little over $2,800, the maximum allowable under the collective bargaining agreement. It's for a cross-check of Seattle Kraken forward Brandon Tanev. Uh, it was a minor penalty issued. Um, the, the contribution to the party fund, I think, is worth it. It's, it's kind of a dirty play here. It's it's dirty. I mean, it's also not that uncommon. I mean, we do see these quite frequently. The danger is the location of the player. And I think that's what makes this rise to the level of any disciplinary action, including a fine, which probably suffices here. It's just where he's at. And, and those types of low cross checks when you're eight to 10 feet away from the boards or in that window there, you're going in skates first or you're going in skates up. And that's where we're looking at lower body injuries. So I, I, I'm fine with this. I don't think you could really justify a suspension here. Normally, this is the type of play we see throughout a game, but I think based on the location of where it was, at, I'm, I'm good with a fine for this type of cross-check. All right. There was another fine issued by player safety this past week as well. Um, and, it's, and this one I think we should dive into a little bit deeper. It was Arizona's Liam O'Brien who received a two-minute minor penalty for roughing Vancouver's Sam Lafferty. I find this a bit... Um, well, let's say ridiculous. I have a couple of thoughts on this one. First off, it is O'Brien on this play who gets his gloves off, throws and lands two punches on Lafferty, and it's a two-minute roughing call. I, I I think it's worth more than a two-minute roughing call. And I, although, yeah, I agree with ahead. you, Todd. Okay, so I'll, I'm, I'm going to give you the other part of this too. If you take the video back a little bit, as we're seeing here, O'Brien jumps onto the ice for a line change and then immediately heads towards the Canucks bench and grabs Lafferty. Isn't that leaving the bench to start an altercation? Couldn't no. that perhaps be a significant suspension? Well, you're on the right path there, Todd. And we'll start with that piece of it because Rule 70 does dictate that a player coming off the bench to join an altercation is an automatic 10-game suspension. And that was put in place to try to eliminate some of the bench-clearing brawls and having guys come out when you've got either uh, gloves 
fights, altercations, things happening all over the ice. You don't want more people coming in to, to join. But you nailed it when you were describing the play. He comes off on what was a legal line change. He's on the boards, ready to hop off and change for another player. In the process of changing lines on a legal line change, you're not going to see that automatic 10 gamer coming back because it is a legal line change. He was coming on the ice. Somebody was coming off to replace him. So unless it's really a, a cut and dried situation where we see a guy jumping off the bench unprompted, Krause is going off, O'Brien's coming on. You could argue that, uh, you know, he jumped off a bit early because of the fight he wanted to start here. But I, I think it's not sufficient to get that automatic 10 game suspension. So he avoided that one, but he shouldn't have avoided a whole bunch of other penalties here. You know, you're yeah. right. Uh, it's a garbage play. I mean, you're going after a guy, you get a roughing minor and roughing is, is gloved punches. This is far more than that. He drops the gloves. He throws punches with the gloves. He throws punches without the gloves. To me, this is two, five, and 10. You're getting two for instigating, five for fighting, a 10-minute misconduct, and it's one-sided. I'm giving all those penalties out. Lafferty gets nothing on this play. So what should have happened here is that the Vancouver Canucks end up with a seven-minute power play. And I think that is the right outcome. I think that's the right way to manage it in the game is when you've got a guy clearly as an aggressor, as an instigator, going after and throwing, throwing off the gloves and then delivering punches I don't think you have a choice. I think it's an instigator and a fighting major and it's one-sided and and that's how I would have called it. That's what I wish the officials would have done. You know, it's not an extremely dangerous play when it comes to suspension worthy, but to me, you've got a guy attacking somebody who wants no part of it. I, I'm okay with the suspension for this one, but I'd really like to see this one happen in the game where you're getting a guy tossed or at least sitting him for a seven minute power play. Yeah, that's way more than just menacing and two minutes yeah. for roughing. <laughs> far more, <laughs> okay. far more. We, we went way past menacing. Yeah. There was the other case this past week of a suspension that was handed out by player safety. Um, and, and again, this one puzzles me in a few different ways. Uh, it's Florida Panthers, William Lockwood, that I think the punishment does not fit the crime against the Minnesota Wild. Lockwood is pursuing a puck around the Minnesota Wild net and goaltender Marc-Andre Fleury comes out to play the puck, takes his time playing it. There is very little space between Fleury and the boards and Lockwood inevitably is going to crash into the beloved goaltender. The scuffle ensues. Lockwood gets an extra two minutes on this okay, that's maybe not enough. It's maybe not exactly right. But here's what happens afterwards. Lockwood gets engaged by Zach Bogosian, who of course seeks retribution. He fights, clobbers him. Lockwood is knocked out and knocked out of the game. Okay, Department of Player Safety, as we mentioned, has come out of hibernation when this play occurs and suspends Lockwood for three games. I am flummoxed to understand why this is a three-game suspension because to use player safety's words, he pers Lockwood pursues the puck in an aggressive manner. If he doesn't, he gets a one-way ticket back to the American Hockey League by his coach. <laughs> I don't know what else he could do here. You know, a, a lot of Panthers fans were saying that after this. Even the Panthers broadcasting, what else is he supposed to do there? What else is Lockwood supposed to do? He tries not to hit him. I, I disagree with that. I think Lockwood could have done a lot more. He didn't exactly pull up on the contact. Player safety noted it as well. He doesn't slow down. He doesn't hug the boards. He doesn't change his angle. He does nothing to avoid the contact. And uh, the player safety called it direct and significant contact. They called it reckless. I think those are all true. I think he deserves a penalty. I think he deserves some sort of disciplinary action from player safety because he's really not doing everything he can to get out of the way. 
But three games? I mean, look, Rule 69 says a goalkeeper is not fair game just because he's outside the goal crease. So unnecessary contact deserves a penalty. I'm fine with the penalty for it. I just feel like, man, three games is such a severe suspension for this type of play when really he's pursuing the puck. I don't think he has any intent. I mean, Lockwood in his comments to player safety called it unintentional. I think it was. I don't think he was Mm -hmm. trying to make contact. I think he could have done more to avoid it, but I don't think he was really trying to deliver a hit there. I'm just surprised to see that this contact results in a three-game suspension because, you know, is this worse than what Jason Zucker did to, or is the same to what Jason Zucker did to Nick Cousins? I mean, driving him into the board, and that was that was pretty intentional there. Is this worse than Brendan Smith's two-hand slash to, to Travis Konechny? For it to be a three-game suspension, I, I feel like that that might be, and we rarely say this, Todd, that might be a little harsh. Uh, I I agree with you, and the fly the the Florida Panthers broadcasters also said that Flurry really sold it. So, I, but you know, let's let's move along past that nonsense. So, I it got me thinking though is that what we need to help understand these suspensions and where they come from and 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 understand the reason for them. Everybody needs help with this. So, you know, when you're shopping online and you can compare different models of TV, TVs or earbuds or something, whatever it is you're buying, you click on two or three different ones and it lines them all up and tells you the uh, what's, what's included with each. So I think maybe we need this with suspensions. If you could go online to NHL.com and click on suspensions for hitting from behind or interference and click two or three different cases and have them all come up and then you could compare what what was the result of the the reasoning involved with these with these rulings so okay this has severity this has results in injury etc cetera, etc cetera. we need a comparison form I, I think that would be brilliant and and we know that player safety does something similar already they look at the play itself they try to determine is this act a suspendable offense if it is then they look at the player's history, the entire history, not just the past 24 months, but the player's entire history of suspensions and even non-suspensions or dangerous plays. Then they look at the outcome. Was there an injury on the play? So all of those things go into the calculation. But I think, Todd, you're making a good point there. If we had some transparency into saying, okay, this one was more dangerous than that one, why? Or this one resulted in how serious of an injury? Or do we have something different when it comes to intent? to really narrow down where should this fall on the continuum of penalties? And then how do they relate to each other when it comes to the suspensions? You know, if, if a slash is away from the puck, it causes injury and it's dangerous. How does that compare to a play like this where it's goaltender interference, but this was a hockey play. This wasn't away from the puck. This wasn't an act other than trying to play your position. Both of them were Flurry's entitled to play his position, including playing the puck. And uh, you're allowed to go and pursue the puck behind the net. So Lockwood's doing that. So this is a hockey play. This is potentially dangerous, but to me, it's a a different kind of situation. I like your approach because maybe we get to spell out the differences and say, okay, for these plays, this is what we're looking at. And, you know, player safety is looking at past rulings. So why not put it out there so that we can all see of what, what was consistency like? And maybe folks will realize that in some cases, player safety is not as inconsistent as you might think. Get in the box. It's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Read more at scoutingtherefs.com. Follow Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Email the show at ref at scoutingtherefs.com. Subscribe, share, and keep those sticks down. That's good play.